Let's pray again. God, we pray for you to illuminate your word and help us to together comprehend what you're trying to say to us this morning, which I think is for every single one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in 1984, which I just looked up because I wasn't sure what year, there was a movie where a somewhat well-known movie, at the, oh, at the time very well-known, called The Karate Kid. So if you've seen that, raise your hand. All right, wow, wow, it's making it. Karate Kid is still making it. Now, uh, if you're a kid, you are not ready yet to watch that, as I did watch a few clips, and the language is uh, inappropriate. So, but one day, you will watch it. And one of the most important things, so the whole point of Karate Kid is there's a boy named Daniel, and he wants to learn karate, obviously. So he's the karate kid. And the reason, I forget why he wants to learn, but I think essentially he wants to uh, defend himself against his enemies. So he goes to this man, Mr. Miyagi, who is this old, wise karate master, and he wants to know, how can I get good at this? And so he's like, okay, I will train you. So he goes, very excited to be trained. He's like, all right, what do I need to do? He's like, well, first, you need to sand my floor. He's like, what? Because you think you'd, there'd be exercises involved. No, no, he's just going to get on the floor and he's going to sand the floor. So he does that all day. And then the next day, he goes, well, today, you're going to wax my cars. And he has a whole collection of really old cars. And so he's just, he's just doing this all day. Then the next day, he has to paint the fence. Paint up and down, up and down, all day. This doesn't sound like karate to me. Then he f- paints the fence side to side. And then by this point, Daniel is so angry that he's just like, I'm done with you. He says it a little more inappropriately. But he says, I'm done, I'm leaving. And so uh, Mr. Miyagi, um, who actually the actor speaks English just fine, but they pretend that he can't. Um, <laughs> he's, <laughs> I didn't know that till way later. He goes, Daniel-san! And he goes, come here, come here. And he's like, you, you think you're doing nothing. You think you're wasting your time all day with me. Some of you feel that way sometimes when your parents ask you to do the things, right, if you're a kid? Well, some of us feel like that now. You feel like you're, you're wasting your time, and he goes, okay, do uh, wax on. So he's like, all right, he's about to get, or do sand the floor. And he gets down on the ground. He's no, 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 get up. And do sand the floor. And so he does it. He goes, no, no, do your hand this way. And, and then after he's shown him, he starts saying, do sand the floor. And then when Daniel does sand the floor, he goes, yeah, and he tries to attack him. And then he, he blocks. He finds out that sand the floor, he was learning how to block. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. And then he's like, now do, uh, you know, paint the fence up and down. And he goes, yeah. And then, and then he paints the fence. And he, and he blocks it. And then paint the fence. And then paint the fence. So he learns that painting the fence and waxing the floor and sand sanding the floor and waxing the cars, all this stuff. He's been, he's been learning how to block for four days, all day. He did not know that he was learning to do that, but that's what he was learning to do. Daniel was being trained without knowing it. And you know, this scene was the first thing I thought of. This scene in that movie was what I thought of when I came to this chapter, when I, did, when I started to read and meditate upon what's in God's word here. Because Jacob also has been doing a lot of hard work that seems really really meaningless. Jacob's gone through 20 years, 20 years of what was supposed to be kind of a shorter journey, hopefully, but it wasn't supposed to be 20 years. And he's just coming back from 20 years of a hard time with living with his uncle. And what we'll learn today is that that was all for a really specific purpose that he didn't understand. And we will see here the fruit of what God has been teaching Jacob for those 20 years. And that's this. He's being trained not how to fight, or how to do karate. 
He's being trained for dependent intimacy with God that brings healing to his relationships. Or in other words, he's being trained of how to be close to God. And when he's close to God, he learns how that changes his relationships. And so he's just left his uncle. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, really quickly keep, keep track here. I get a little excited. All right, so he's left his uncle who's tricked him into working for years. And in that time, if you remember, he started learning what it was like to be tricked. See, Jacob means deceiver. His name means deceiver. And so he did a lot of tricking people, but now he's being tricked by his uncle for 20 years. And he learns what that feels like. God is teaching him. But we also see in the middle of all that stuff, with the the chaos of his family, his family's fighting, that he's being blessed. And God is starting to build up the things that he has and the things that he needs to live his life for the rest of his life. And so, so, and, and we see his family, if you remember two weeks ago when I was here preaching, that, he's start, that his family even is starting to learn how to depend on God and not just keep going after the things that they think they need. So you can go back two weeks if you wanna learn more about that. And so now he comes back towards home and if you've ever gone somewhere for a long time and have come back, he's, I'm sure you, you can relate. He starts to remember why he left. It's all on his mind now. His family that he grew up in, it's eating at him. The way that his father would show favoritism towards his brother and not to him. His brother's anger and why his brother wanted to kill him because he cheated his brother. And it's all remembering. It's all coming back. And now, 20 years later, because God has commanded him, he is almost back. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 32. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 32, we're just going to go right in. It's the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 32. It'll also be on the screen if you want to read it there. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. So he knows the angels are with him, but there's also fear. He remembers why he left and what he did. So let's go to verse three. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor, that I may find favor in your sight. So if you notice, if you've been reading Genesis, this is not how Jacob talks to people usually, right? He hasn't talked to his uncle that way when he's mad. He hasn't talked to his family, his father that way when he lied to him. He hasn't talked to his brother that way the last time we saw them talking in the Bible. With Laban, he's angry. With his wife, Rachel, when Rachel's asking about children, he gets angry. And he's lied. And, And this is different. He's saying, Lord Esau, my Lord, in order that I might find favor, in, which just means, uh, I, hope you, I hope you like me. Um, and so instead of trying to take blessing and status, instead of, if you remember, the thing he stole from his brother was the status as the older and the blessed. He, tried to, he, he tricked his father and his brother, and he took it. But instead of trying to take those things, he's giving status and blessing to his brother. Instead of trying to prove that he's more deserving than his older brother, he says, no, 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 you're my older, my Lord Esau. I come in peace. Can, can, can we be okay? This is really different. He's, he's ahead of time communicating 
This is, I see you in a different way now. I see you with respect. See verse six, um, which may or may not have made it to the slide. I apologize. Uh, and the messages returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, to the one camp and attacks it, then that, uh, then the camp that is left will escape. So why is he afraid? Because when a lot, when there's 400 men coming, that's similar, that kind of seems more like a group that's supposed to be tough, a group that's supposed to do battle, a group that's supposed to, it's meant for fighting. Abraham, his grandfather, once rescued his nephew Lot with about this many people. So he's filled with fear. It's like soldiers are coming. Your brother's coming with a lot of men. And he's filled with fear. He's worried how that conversation is going to go now. He tried to say something nice. And we've all been there before. We are worried how a conversation is going to go. Maybe it's because of how we ended the last conversation. Maybe it's because of what that person said last time. Maybe it's because of what we did that led to that last conversation. And so Jacob also is filled with fear. He tries to send this message, and there's no message back. There's just a lot of men coming towards him. And so his conclusion is, I think he's coming to get me. I think he is coming to hurt me. And so he's preparing for the worst scenario. And sometimes we do this too. And it's not always bad. We try to prepare for what might happen. We think, well, this is what might happen if I try to resolve, when I re-encounter this person, when I talk to them again. And we begin to think, what's the worst that can happen? I need to prepare for the worst. And that's not all bad. Sometimes you need to have wisdom. Sometimes you want to make sure that you are not uh, uh, causing more harm to everyone by not thinking about what could happen. But sometimes what happens is that then we leave no room for God to do something that we didn't anticipate. We don't leave room for what's possible with the presence of God. And we know that this isn't an attack as you go through the passage. It's actually more sent like a, it's protection. His brother's bringing a group of people to protect him. But he doesn't know that yet. And so we understand that fear. But we also now, we understand this fear it's because he doesn't know. And so we do the same too, don't we? We do the best we can, but we start assuming the worst possible things about others. We make the worst assumptions about what could be happening. And we don't leave room for God to move and act. And the point is that Jacob needs to make room for God to be in this and to be with him. And then Jacob does do that he makes room for God. This is a different Jacob than chapter 29, 20 years ago. This is a different Jacob. This is a different Jacob where he had stress and fear and bad relationships, uncertainty. He was afraid before, but he didn't pray. In 29, he goes to the well and he doesn't pray for God's help. He doesn't pray for guidance. Throughout the conflict with his family in chapters 30, 31, he's not praying. He's not talking to God. And yet here he prays. He turns to the all-powerful, all-knowing, loving God who's promised to be with him always. And God's not promised to be with Jacob because he's a good guy. He has not been a good guy. He has not been good. But because God is good and loves him, he calls, Jacob knows, I can call on God. You remember 
Again, Jacob at the well, he, he wasn't a praying man, but now Jacob prays. Verse nine, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country. By the way, when you relate to God, it's also good to walk with other Christians, community, right, second core value, because then you're like God of my brother over here who, who met him in his time of need and God over here of my sister who was delivered from this and that, and my God, you need to walk with others. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of, the steadfa of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. So for me, this is personally, I got, I got really, uh, I thought about this, and I, and I thought, man, I... Uh, over 20 years ago, I came to Boston. And, you know, um, it's just crazy to me to look at my life now and to see how God has moved and, and how the changes happen on the inside and how I, I, I've, I've been here now for over 20 years. I never thought that this would be what my life looks like. And so uh, sometimes you get to look back. God gives you these moments to look back and say, I can't believe what you've done. So Jacob's gone from a man who believed that in order to get anything, he had to steal it. And to someone now who believes that God's blessed him, even though he was a thief and a liar. You'd think after the 20 years he'd been through, though, we just went through these chapters. You'd think after those 20 years, he'd be like, well, God, it's been okay. It's been pretty rough. I've been cheated many, many times. Over 10 times, every time I, I said I'd work for this, it got changed. Every time I wanted this, I got that. I thought I was marrying this girl. <laughs> I married this girl instead. You'd think that he would not pray, oh God, I'm not worthy of all the deeds of steadfast love. Is that what happens when bad things happen to us in life? Do we just say, God, you know, I'm just not worthy of all the great things you've given me. But Jacob is, what's, what's happened here? Look what God's done in Jacob's heart. He sees 20 years and he says, I've deserved worse. I deserve worse than those 20 years. I don't deserve anything from you. But you decided to give me these blessings. I am so grateful. He sees the steadfast love and favor of God in his past. He's learned to speak with God. He's had his mind transformed. And you know, look, Jesus hasn't come yet. But we know what Hebrews tells us. He's a man of faith. He sees God through the eyes of faith. And what he sees is the love and care of God. Isn't this the miracle? Friend, if you're not a believer this morning, what makes a person do that? Go through 20 years of hard labor and suddenly see incredible love coming towards them. Are they crazy or do they see something that you don't see? Jacob wanted originally the gifts without the giver, as some have said. But now he wants the giver. The 20 years have revealed to him, you know what? I thought for 20 years, others were the problem. I thought other people were doing no good to me, and that was everything. And other people were doing no good to him. But he realizes, actually, I'm not worthy of all this love and faithfulness you've shown me, God. And so he's saying, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, right? From the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring 
as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So not because I deserve it, but because of your promises, God, please remember what you said to me. And so I want to stop and say this is the objective way to see reality. If Jacob can do 20 years of hard labor, can't sleep at night because he's cold, he's in the heat of the day, but he sees something now. Something is clear, and what he sees is the good news. What is the gospel? What is the good news we have? I'm a sinner. I'm a part of this broken world. I'm a guilty part of it. When I see everything broken out there, it also shows that there's something broken in here. And even though I have been like Jacob, a deceiver, a liar, putting myself before others, caring about how I look in front of other people more than how I look in my relationship with God, the damage I've done, the damage that we've done, it could never be reversed, not in a million years, if it were up to us. We deserve punishment. I deserve punishment. But Jesus has come for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for us. And in Jesus, we're forgiven and we're given the promises of God. The same promise that Jacob's given. The promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the promise of the gospel. And so now we have relationship with God and we get to talk to him and we say, God, not because we deserve it, not because I deserve it, but because you've given me your help and your promise and your love. And so he prays, Jacob, a prayer like this, for, really for the first time. You don't see him pray like this ever in the Bible until now. He has this moment of clarity. He sees it clearly. God loves me. God's blessed me. And I can ask him for help because I'm really, really afraid. We need this clarity, church family. I'm praying that we have this kind of clarity. When do you need this kind of clarity? And I think like Jacob, it's in this moment of really tumultuous relationships. It's in this moment where you're not sure what's going on. You can't see, and it looks like there's danger. What do you need to do? You need the clarity that Jacob had, that God gave him. We need to see, oh, I'm so blessed already. And then, oh my God who loves me, I need your help. I need your deliverance. I need you to see me through. A dependent calling on God, remembering the promises of God. So Jacob prays, but he still acts. Because he prays the prayer, but what does he do? He also says, well, I'm going to divide all of my people. This might be hundreds of people at this point. I don't know. There's lots of animals for sure into two camps. And I think in some ways you might say he's completely doing this because he's scared. But this might be the other half of prayer. Sometimes, or just of living and praying. We pray and we talk with God, but we still are living our lives. You still have to decide what to do when you are afraid and when you're praying. You still have to get up from the prayer and you have things to do. And so even in your life, even kids, the youngest of us to the oldest of us, we want to pray for God to do things. And then sometimes also God works in the things we do. We don't actually know. It's okay to take wise action. How do you know if you're being wise or if you're just being afraid? Do you pray a lot? Yes, you should do that. There's another thing you should do, though. You should ask other people. You should ask other believers. You should ask other people who are following God. 
Because, I, I th- and I think that's one reason we say you should be in community group. Because maybe you won't feel comfortable at first. Maybe you don't want to speak to these people. Maybe they seem a bit odd to you, distasteful even when you go the first time. I hear the chuckle. Yes, yes, Molly. Distasteful, but sometimes you need that help to see clearly. And God has made us so that, you know, at this point, in the way that we are, in our fallen nature, we need the collective help of one another to see clearly. Ask other believers for clarity to know, am I doing that sort of wisdom or fear? Now note something else. Let's move on. That shows his heart is in the right place. Jacob doesn't ask for Esau to be harmed. He's not saying, God, my brother wanted to kill me. Could you just get rid of him for me? Could you just make him go far away? Could you make it so I never see him again? He's not asking for that. And that's good. Yes, he's afraid. But while he's running around trying to make this turn right, he doesn't ask for Esau to be hurt. He just asks for God's help. He's not running away. Or he's getting ready to run away, but he, he's, he's not asking for harm to come to his brother. And how many times do we sometimes fail to do this as well. We don't ask for, sometimes we're like, can you just make that person go away? Can you just nothing them? God, the love of God calls us to do more than that. So Jacob now sees this relationship with clarity. Verse 13, so, th- so he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls. 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he, and he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when, my bro- when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. Your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he he himself stayed that night in the camp. Then the same same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a river. So he's crossing over the river on this shallow part. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. There's a uh, a marriage, a pretty famous like marriage counselor therapist guy, John Gottman. Bland's mentioned him before. Um, He calls this, there's something called a repair attempt, which is just... Uh, things you try to do um, to show the other person that you don't want to fight anymore. You don't want it to get worse. You want it to get better. Maybe it's you make a little joke. Maybe you offer them a bite of food. Maybe it's something, a repair attempt. Maybe you make a funny face in the middle of a fight because you're trying to make it uh, uh, better. So Jacob is doing this. He's sending gifts. He avoids accusing Esau. He doesn't say, Esau, I know you tried to kill me but I'm coming back. He doesn't say it. He doesn't even mention it. He just says, Esau, I've been with Laban a while and I'm coming back. He's, let's, let's not, let's move on. I've, I'm moving on. I've sojourned and stayed with Laban until now. He doesn't feel like he deserves forgiveness. 
This is one thing that's sneaky when in the Christian community. Sometimes when we have a broken relationship or a moment, we sneakily feel entitled to forgiveness. Sometimes you think, well, you're a Christian. You should forgive me. So whatever I do, aren't you just, aren't we just supposed to, be, if I just say sorry, isn't it all better? I have had to learn that lesson the hard way. This takes, forgiveness is a process for other people and for myself. Forgiveness is not something we just get. It is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And Jacob, in the light of God's presence, he sees things clearly. Do you see the clarity? He sees the blessing of God. He sees that he needs God's help. He doesn't see Esau through the lens of Esau's sins. Not mentioning that what Esau did. He's just saying, hey, I, I know I've done wrong. He's coming remembering, why did I have to run in the first place? Because I did something. And he comes and he says, I hope you'll accept me. That's the most important thing. I know what I did. I'm going to come with that. Notice though, Esau, he's not doing all the same kind of like making peace, little, little previews of the posture. Esau's just like, let's get 400 guys. Let's go, right? So <laughs> not the best way to come communicating what, what's going to happen. Right? And I would argue that Jacob, because he knows the Lord and is walking with the Lord, can do this really gracious, peacemaking, repair attempt. He can say, look, I know you tried to kill me, but I'm going to let that go right now. Not that it's not affected me. We'll see it still does. But I'm going I'm to put that aside, and I'm going to make peace. I'm going to send you gifts. I'm going to send you a lot of gifts, and I'm going to call you my Lord Esau. I'm going to show you what God's doing in my life. That is what the believer does. Esau seems less capable of that or just, I don't know, maybe he's just excited. I don't know, right? But he's not doing it. Come humbly when you're in conflict. Come humbly. Make clear your desire to be together again with the person you're reconciling with. And I know sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it takes seasons or years, but come humbly. And now what happens? Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. So he's left alone. So he's prayed. He knows he's, he, he, he's like, I just crossed this river alone the first time, but now I'm sending my family away and I'm alone. Look, I don't know where you are in your life, but there's a lot of moments where God gives you a time to be alone. And he does that so that you can, you can have some clarity. You can see properly. And God is calling you to do that today. Or maybe he is in some way or another. Maybe God is calling you into a deeper place to investigate why you are, why, why you're in this place, why you're in this situation, why you're in the, these kinds of relationships. Maybe it's time to go back and remember and sort through or reconcile or think about something or a relationship from your past. Maybe it's that 20-year mark for you to look back and both reflect on what God, the goodness that God's done in your life, but also where he's calling you to depend on him. I want to say that if that's something you feel as I say that, you should do that during this time. You should do it when you're alone at home. But again, sometimes God wants to meet you through others, and I really want to challenge you on that. We have people here ready to pray with you every Sunday. There are people next to you that you know that can pray with you. There, are, there is a, a community group that you could go to and you could ask for help with this. Please do it. 
The rest of verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of, put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Did you ever ask for help from God and you don't get what you expected? <laughs> Jacob's left alone and there suddenly appears a man that starts wrestling him. So I don't know if that's your idea of help when you pray to God. And people don't know exactly. Some people think this was an angel, which is actually what probably later in the Old Testament it says. Uh, some people think, well, maybe this was Jesus before he fully came and was born. Um, it's, it's not that important. All you know that is on behalf of God, there is someone there wrestling with Jacob while he is, he's alone, and then he is in a wrestling match. Listen, why does he do this? Why is there a wrestling match? I've been in a lot of sermons and they're just like, well, you need to wrestle with God. That's true. But why does he pray? And he's like, God's like, you need a wrestling match. You need to, you need to like get down and like wrestle. It's very, very weird. Other times God just talks to people or he sends them a sign, you know, just something nice like that. He's going to wrestle me and he's going to put his, put his hip out of joint so he can't walk. It's very strange. Why does God do this? I looked into this for quite a while. I was like, I was like, why is there actually a wrestling match? No one actually says. But what is clear is that God decided he needed a wrestling match. He needed it. God knew. And what I think we can draw from that is that sometimes God uses things in your physical life to give you what you need in your whole life. God uses things in your physical life to give you what you need in your whole life. And sometimes he uses the broken things, and he turns them around, and sometimes he uses redemptive things to elevate you. Let me give you examples. Our bodies decay, right? Over time, our bodies get older, and they break down. We go through sickness and pain and injury. These are things in our physical lives, but God can use those things. One example is Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know who this is, she's a woman who, when she was a teenager, went diving into the water and broke her neck so that she could no longer move anything except like the very tips of her shoulders, like these muscles work up. So she's quadriplegic. And she went through this entire journey of just being so miserable and angry at God. I, re I remember reading her autobiography when I was little, you know, when I was in middle school. And she's so angry. And then in the end, she comes to this place of incredible peace and joy. And she's still alive, and you can, like, you know, YouTuber and stuff like that. Um, but sometimes, and she would tell you this, God uses the things in her spirit. God used a very physical thing in her life to bring her what she needed for her whole life. And so sometimes there's these negative things physically that God is using. It's not that God is the one who caused it. The brokenness of the world that we brought caused it. But God will still use those things. But sometimes there's positive physical things that God uses. Like what? What, pray tell? Like coming to church. Like being here physically, if you can. I know some people can't make it to worship on Sunday. Not, not calling you out there, not putting you on blast. But if you can make it to be here physically, why do we make you turn and say hello to the people around you? Even though some of you really dislike that part. It's physical to shake hands, to hug someone. Some of you are huggers, some of you are not. You still should do some of it. Why do we lay hands in prayer? You can't have your hands laid on you if you're not here. 
You can't have your hands laid on you to pray if you're not in community group or if you just ask. God can use the things in the physical world to bring us what we need. Don't neglect the healing physical means by which God wants to meet you. Why do we have communion? Why did, why did Jesus say, when you get together, not do a spiritual thing and pray and just sort of think about things quietly. You have to eat. He says, you have to eat. There's something mysterious, just as mysterious as the wrestling match. It's like, you have to eat. Communion used to be like a full meal. You'd sit down together and everyone eat a huge meal for a variety of reasons. We don't do that. Um, though if people want to volunteer and start doing that every week, you know, just big, big meal every week for everyone. If you all want to pull it hands on deck, you know, I'd be excited to do it once in a while. Um, but this is actually why, as a church, we decided, hey, we want to have more times to eat after worship. If you notice, probably once every six weeks or a month, there's some kind of meal that we just provide for everyone. Eating together is important. The sharing of food, the laying of hands. That's why we sing. It's a very physical action. This is why you clap. This is why you dance. This is why sometimes you don't move at all. The absence of movement. This is why you're still. This is why you kneel. Don't neglect the physical means by which God wants you to act in your whole life. Don't forget that you're a whole person walking in this world before God. So Jacob prays, God help me. I'm afraid, I'm worried. you're, You're gracious to me, but I'm afraid, I'm worried. God shows up and then God does something to Jacob physically on purpose. That hurts. And Jacob still persists. You know, this wrestling match, he just says he touched him and then just like, ah, hip is out of joint. He just touched him. I don't think this is a fair wrestling match, right? This isn't, you know, two guys equal and Jacob's just so strong that he's like holding on to the side. This feels like when a much larger father is wrestling with his son or something like that, right? Like, oh, you got me. <laughs> Boop. You're really hurt now. And he's just persisting. He's persisting. It's clear God could just win. But God is doing this for Jacob. And Jacob, now hip out, is still wrestling. I don't know if you've ever dislocated a joint. I'm, it is excruciatingly painful. I've heard. I haven't. I've just heard. It's very painful. Hosea 12, 4 through 6, shows us what this is about. We use the Bible to interpret the Bible because you are not here to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God has to say. So we always use the Bible to interpret the Bible where we can. Hosea 12, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return and Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So what is Jacob ultimately doing? He's weeping and seeking God's favor and blessing. He's not trying to steal status from his brother anymore. He's not trying to lie and steal status from his father, a blessing from his father. He's not trying to get what he wants by finding, oh, what I want is the perfect marriage or partner. He is weeping and seeking God's favor and blessing, and that's all that matters to him. Verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day is broken. That is the angel or God. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 20 years of trying to find what he needs everywhere else, lying and cheating and working and and striving. Now he knows his business is actually with God. What I'm really ultimately needing to do is work this out. 
with God. I won't let go until you bless me, until you give me what I need. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do. There's a lot of time spent in life wrestling with life, in relationships, in physical circumstances. It's not that those things aren't real. It's not that you can just pray and they just magically disappear. But what we need to do is come to God and ask him for a favor. Ask him for the humility to see ourselves the right way, to see with clarity our lives, to see the blessing and love of God. And then we need to ask him for the humility to understand what he's up to and weep and seek him and ask for his blessing. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jacob asked for God's favor and blessing, and he does his business with God. He asks for God's help and favor, and God says, you know what, you know what this does? Jacob can't run now. His hip's out of socket. He was getting ready. Let's split up into two camps. Maybe we can run if it goes bad. And God says, and then he prays, God, help me. I'm afraid. God says, great, I'll show up, and now you can't run. God is saying, I don't want there to be a place for you to run from my presence and from the healing that I desire for you in this moment. God makes it so Jacob can't run. This was a man who was running, always running. But now he's a man who's not gonna run from his pastor's conflicts. He's taken the first steps to show honor and love and respect. And he sees how God has been so good, even though he's been unworthy of it. And so this man is a new man. And so he gets a new name. God gives him a new name. Jacob is now Israel. He's not a horizontal deceiver. He's not a deceiver of others. He's someone's primarily in relationship with God. Israel, the name means God fights. You've striven with God and men and have prevailed. It's a testimony. His name is now a testimony of his journey. After all this struggle with people and with God, he's someone who sees things rightly. He sees with clarity and his fundamental identity has changed. When we believe in Jesus, this is what God does. It's a fundamental change. We see our sin with clarity. We see how good God is to us despite it. And we have, we have grace, and when things get hard, we plead with God to ask for his favor and help. I'm gonna keep going as, as we round out here. Chapter 33, and Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and, said to two, and, and the two female servants, and so he divides them. He puts the servants with their children in the front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So he's, he's rounding them all up, and he went on before them. He went in front of them. He's not putting them first. He's putting himself first, just in case there's danger, and bowing himself to the ground seven times until he comes near his brother. I don't know how many of you bow normally. In my culture growing up, you do the bow. The lower the bow, the more important that person is, right? So if you do, like, a little older than me, I might do a little like this. They're a lot older. You get the, you know, and then, and then you know, you might, you might get down if it's, if it's really important, okay? Not really, just for New Year's. Sorry, that's a, if you get that, you get that. But Esau ran to meet him 
and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. They cried and cried. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. He's calling him my brother. You know things are all right. They've hugged. They've cried. He says, my brother. It must be so good to hear that. To have him, not I want to kill you, but my brother. Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. Uh, uh, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. This is the fruit of spirit-led reconciliation. Not entitled to forgiveness, not like you have to forgive me, but so grateful. I've gotten your forgiveness. It's like getting the forgiveness of God because I didn't deserve it. He's ready to accept the consequences. He's like, I can't run. If I go here and Esau just kills me, I deserve that. This is incredible. I will say that is one thing in my relationship that's changed. When I've wronged someone, I learned this lesson. And now I've come and I've said, hey, I have ruined our friendship. I have done something. I have in some way played a part and we're not the same. And if we can never be the same, I'll understand. If we can one day have some kind of restoration, it'll be an incredible gift to me. But if we can't, I completely accept my part in it. So he's ready, and then God moves. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way. I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. I'm gonna go ahead and say, uh, uh, just get us through this. Esau basically is like, well, I brought all these guys to protect you. Let's go together. And Jacob says, well, I, people are going to get tired. Well, you guys go ahead. And he says, well, let me leave a couple guys with you. He says, no, 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 no. Go ahead. So Esau goes ahead. And then Jacob goes somewhere else. (laughs) He doesn't go with him. He doesn't go to the same place. Guys, this is an important lesson for us. The people in the Bible that are not Jesus are not heroes. They are people just like us. Jacob's a sinful person who God is gracious to. Does he experience a transformation? Yes. Does he have a new identity? Yes. But he's still learning. And so are we. This isn't a happy ending like, hey, yes, God made this incredible moment. But is everything better now? Is it all just kind of sunshine and rainbows? Sometimes we reconcile, we have a conversation, we weep tears, but we have trouble living that out now on a daily basis. Reconciliation and forgiveness, making things right with each other, this is a continual act. And so as we enter this time of communion, we understand this little, I kind of made a a rhyme. Uh, I don't know how to describe that. I was trying to figure out how to, sum up these two chapters. And so I came up with this. So you can see it on the screen. We heal and restore through our weep and struggle with God, with others, a joyful stumble. I'll say it again. 
We heal and restore through our weep and struggle. With God, with others, a joyful stumble. Let's stand up together. I want us to respond. I know we don't do this. Can you say this phrase with me? We heal and restore through our weep and struggle. With God, with others, a joyful stumble. The one who did this once and for all is Jesus. And that's why we celebrate communion each week. He came sinless. He paid the price. You see, he wept and struggled. But with no guilt, Jesus did not have to come and say, I know my part in this. Instead, he took on our part. He took on our stumble, our sin on the cross, and he died so we could have this journey with God. Let me pray for us. I want to give you a moment to respond. What is God doing? What is God doing in you? Where is the clarity lacking? Do you need that vision of clarity to see the goodness of God in your life? I want you to take a moment and say, God, I need to see your goodness. I need to see your goodness in the middle of what's going on. I need to feel it. I need to experience it. Ask him for that. Maybe you're in the middle of needing to reconcile and you go, I don't have it in me to do these. I cannot send things ahead and show honor and respect. I don't even have that. Ask God, help me. Maybe you don't even want help. Say, God, help me want your help. Come to him. Come to him. If you're a believer, we take communion because we want God's help. We want his life in reconciliation. If you're unwilling to reconcile, if you are in a place where you're, you're against it, you're saying, I want that person to disappear and I don't want that feeling to change, then maybe you need to not take communion today. But if you want the change, if you want what God wants for you, even if it's just 1%, just a little bit, and you say, God, I want the 1% to be more. I want to pursue reconciliation through the weep and struggle. I wanna see your goodness through this. Any of these areas, if you want his help, if you want his life, then come and take communion if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, I want to ask, do you want to see things clearly, objectively? Do you want to know the truth about yourself and about God and about life? Accept the forgiveness and grace and lordship of Jesus in your life. And we'd ask that you, if you're not a believer, if that's not your story, if that's not your song, that you not take God, I pray for us as a church, as we walk through seasons of life, sometimes you give us moments to sit and look back and reflect. And sometimes you want us to do that, especially when we're alone. I pray for anyone this morning in an alone season where they feel alone in their struggle, alone in their journey, alone in their hurt. God, we know you're present. God, we know you want to meet us. God, we know that you are close. Holy Spirit, come and meet that person now. Right now, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, for anyone this morning who is hurting in the middle of reconciliation, who wants a relationship to be better and needs wisdom, God, would you meet that person now? For anyone that's lacking, they're just afraid to go and tell someone about what's going on. Not as gossip, but as a cry for wisdom. God, would you bring to mind the right person to tell this to, to share it with, to go through it with. God, would you bring that person to mind, we pray. 
Lord, we pray for every single one of us, from the oldest to the youngest. We go through these times, but we need your help. Help us to pause and stop in the middle of an interaction, in the middle of a phone call, in the middle of having crazy spinning thoughts to come and find you and plead with you and weep and seek your favor and blessing. Help us to do that, Jesus. We come to you in this moment of communion. We may come in silence. We may come in the quiet of our heart and soul. We may come loudly. We may just sing because we have nothing else. But we come to you, Jesus. Be with us. Work in us, we pray. Thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus.